The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Welcome back, Redneck Tech Podcast. We have had a long hiatus. Um, November is a really, really busy month for us. It is now November the 30th. And the last podcast we did, give me just a second and I'll tell you. I think it was the last time we were all in the office, which was a long time ago. And you're lucky that we're all in the office. Clay is not supposed to be here, but he is here now. Um, unfortunate series of events kept clay here last podcast was a month ago <laughs> really yeah that was it says wow. like one month ago that was you and ryer in the truck wasn't it uh no it was the server r5 and fall uh. update um but here we are we're podcasting we are live on youtube and we're also live on instagram on the redneck tech page and um if you are listening or watching or whatever and anytime you want to ask questions let us know that's why we do these podcasts so um, first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of where we're at and what we've been doing this fall. I like to give people an update because apparently they're interested in what we're doing. So um, I got the question a couple times, how many kills have we filmed this fall? And I was thinking the other day how many I had killed. Clay's probably winning because he went with Kip and they killed a bunch of stuff. Which you were winning last year because you went with Kip a lot. But you filmed quite a few. I think I might have I might have the least amount of anybody. Let's see. I had think of your number. I'm trying to think of my number. Can't do that in my head. <laughs> you gotta talk out loud to yeah, do it. I can't do it in my head. Just for the fall, not for the whole year. Yeah. Because I can't remember since, the since August. Yeah, so I'll go through mine. So I started out with Dudley, which I started out with Greg. We did not kill a mule deer. Then I went with Dudley. We killed Two pronghorns, whitetail, mule deer, and an elk. Then I killed my elk. And then me and Brian killed in South Dakota. Um, and me and Brock didn't kill in New Mexico. I've had three or four unsuccessful trips. I think I'm at seven, but I should be at like nine or ten. So I think I've got seven myself this fall. So I've got two elk in Utah. Rub it in. I've only got one elk. One archery. One muzzle loader. Um so that's nine. Huh? That's nine total so far. So, oh yeah, I got you. Um and then let's see, I I don't think I was part of another kill until, let's see, Greg killed one in um, Missouri, and then Ernie killed one in Illinois, and then um, Chris killed one in Illinois. Five. I was on. So that's five total or five more since the two? Five total. Okay, so that's. 
Seven is 12. 12, okay. I'm trying to think if, if I'm missing any, but... Um, okay, so I'm not losing. Mm-hmm. So you've only got five? I've only got five. Okay. Are we counting that our camera filmed, or we were in camp? Because like, when I was I was at Greg's, there were Oh, three, no, only your camera filmed it. Ten. Yeah. Ten? Not, and <laughs> ten, eight of those are with Kip. So 22. It's pretty solid. Between three people, that's not bad. One no. of the, and that one, one of them was yours. Yeah. So 22. Oh, one of them was mine, so that didn't count because I counted that one. So 21. That's still good. 21 kills this fall, and it should have been more than that. Not not bad. I mean. My yeah, I started out with a dry spell, and then I got to Utah, and Utah was good. I've been really. <clears throat> then my next trip was. I've been up and down. Really bad, and then uh, the past couple trips have been pretty good. Me and Dudley started out really slow. I didn't have the kill on the first trip. Then me and Dudley started out really slow. First four days, nothing. And, like, he started hitting panic mode. And then the next four days, we just killed everything. <laughs> and then. Kip had a really slow start, and he didn't really kill anything until November, and it was just like killed well, everything. We between he didn't kill anything until between um, eight you went with sets him. in Texas, we killed six animals. Yeah, that's about right. And three of them were bucks. God, Texas is such a great place. My first four trips were unsuccessful. The first successful trip I had was yours. Yeah, you know, you know, just taking care of business. I think the trip that I'm going on yeah. with Kip is the doe killing massacre, yeah. and. uh Oh, How many? You said six and eight days? Mm-hmm. But Paul said he's not taking his main does this year, so he's limiting Kip to what he can shoot doe-wise. What? <laughs> <laughs> this is the bullcrap. Paul <laughs> <laughs> bullcrap. I don't even want to go anymore. <laughs> Why are you going to limit us on does? I mean, it's like how my favorite kill shot from last year was a doe. Was a doe from that trip. It's like Just how, glorious. Yeah, how many... How many different ways can we film a doe being shot? It's like, turns out there's a lot. There's a lot of different ways. You can get really creative with shooting does. <laughs> Why would, how many less is he going to let us well, shoot? we already killed three. So he that said. But three is like, that's he, like a morning. He said, he, t- <laughs> like, that's he, said not. he took 60 last year. He's dropping it down to like 25 or 30 this oh, year. Dang, what? That many? Mm-hmm. Dang, that's a huge drop. Yeah, but I mean, I'm with you. Three's like, what? It's like a like a leisurely afternoon. But it, but, but it's like, how like, many have it's been also killed? Like Kip total. Said, Kip's like, if you don't let anyone shoot any, then I get to shoot thirty. Yeah. So does he let people shoot any? I have no idea. He better not be. People generally don't like, don't pay go, that. Yeah, type of money they don't go and shoot does. We That's, tried. We tried to go film when we filmed with David. Mm-hmm. We literally tried to shoot a doe, and we saw sixteen bucks and no does. Well, that's the problem with that place. Is like you show up and you want to hunt. You're like, I'm going to shoot the crap out of some does. And then it's all bucks. And then when you're like, okay, fine, fine. You've convinced me we're going to go for bucks. Then it's all does. It's like they know. They know who who you're going for. Well, we've... uh, Did you sit that one blind that was just got stupid bucks in there? Just all the bucks? I mean, we saw 16 in one night, so that's pretty stupid. Yeah. (laughs) There's there's one particular blind where it's like... Just every single buck you know, ever is in, you and know, you just see all of them. They all so, come right it's in. It's so fun for me because I've gotten to do this and go to some awesome places for years and years. And then last year was your first time ever getting to experience because you've been on a couple of white to hunts when you were marked that were just atrocious. Yeah. And then you go to Texas, and it's just like all the deer ever. 
Like you get all of them. That tired place will of ruin you. And then you, you this well, is you your first year. Getting I've my never first, my first whitetail hunt in Texas. Well, yeah. it's uh, your first year going to a place like that. That's yeah. just like dumb, dumb. I've turkey hunted a place like that where yeah. you see all the deer during turkey season, but they're yeah. all antlerless. But yeah. seeing them with antlers is obviously different. Yeah. So it's cool for me to get to hear you all and like getting texts from Clay. That's like. We saw sixteen bucks and no dose. This place is crazy. <laughs> this place and like, stupid. like, how's it going? Like, there's so many deer, so many deer, and that's like you last year. You were texting like, I don't like. I have so much deer footage. Yeah, like it's just like you I start. You could put it on like Adobe Stock and start selling it. You have so much. Yeah, <laughs> you just start doing stupid things. You're like, well. I don't know. I guess I'll just try to get these shots that I never ever get because yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. If it doesn't work, I got 17 other shots. Like yeah. That's what we've always called it, just deer porn. Just mm-hmm. people like watching deer, which that's the same thing like deer hunting. Deer hunting sucks unless there's something in front of you to watch. Yeah. If you've got deer in front of you, I don't care what it is. You know, it's exciting. When there's deer moving and there's deer around you, feeding, you know, moving around, chasing does, whatever it is, that's when it's fun. When you don't see anything, hunting sucks. sucks. Like you just did how many days at your family's place and y'all didn't see much? It we sucks. covered between the four of us and – Five days, we covered 32 spots and saw four deer. Yeah, which that's... Is, which is very unnatural for our people. Well, see, that's just... But that's like me. I've taken my little boy hunting twice at our at our house. We haven't seen a deer either time. He fell asleep the second time. He, that's that's not fun for a kid. It's not fun it's for not me. It's not going to make him want to go either. Yeah, it's not fun for me. I don't want to go if I'm not seeing anything. And I'm spoiled rotten. <laughs> like, when I get home, my buddy's like, yeah, we're going hunting here. We're going I'm like, no. I'm not getting out of the bed to hunt here. Piss on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, I'm not even not going. Um, unless you have a deer tied up, like I'm not going. I'm just I'm ruined. Ru- I'm it's ruined. Been ruined. I am. I'm so bad, and I'll be the first to tell you. Like I get in so many like like my best friend Andre, and I hope he listens to this so he'll hear me say it again. Like he gets so mad at me. He killed a huge deer last year, and he killed another deer this year. And I'm like, all right, now you need to kill one with your bow. He's like, no, screw that, man. I'm shooting with my gun. I'm like, you're, you're just. And he's like, you're just so spoiled. You're just this, that, and the other. You could go to all these places. I'm like, you're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> so You got me there. You did. So let's answer a question that I got um, on the YouTube. Can we I, make this a competition? Can we see who can get more questions, well, YouTube already, or Instagram? I already got one, so I guess I'm winning. I see all there on Instagram. Don't let me down. Um. Any, so the first question is from the, the camera to look at. Uh, we're, we're doing a full podcast about lensing and settings here in a minute, but figured I'd answer this question while these guys are watching. Hopefully they're still watching. Uh, the calling said one question that sticks out the most currently is in post audio. How do you mix ambient music and vocals properly? Seems to always be a bit different post render. Any formulas? Mm. I think they're asking just how do we mix. How do we mix uh, those different things in post? So when you're editing and you have what we, we what we call your dialogue, which is you know the spoken word into the camera, then you have your ambient, which is wind blowing, hopefully deer sounds, turkey gobbles, whatever that is, you know, all you know sounds of tractors, all the things that are happening around your camera as you're filming. Then you have your music track, and then sometimes you'll have some sound effects, some whooshes or. You know, sometimes we add in sounds. Like if it's really dead and there's nothing happening, you'll add in birds chirping. You'll add in some wind. You'll add in some, you know, video mic sounds that kind of give it kind of a fullness to it. So in terms of how I mix that, it depends on what project I'm doing. But 
you just want to make those things as subtle as you can. You know, think about how you're sitting in a room and you hear things around you. You know, you don't want to make birds chirping so loud that that's all you hear and that's all you can focus on. You want those things to be as subtle as you can. Like in terms of like what decibel or what level you put those things at, I don't have a perfect answer for that. Like, Ryan, you did a ton of sound design yeah. on the Bluestem project. Like kind of what was your approach on how do you sound design that? So I I do a lot of um, – my approach to sound design is very segmented. Um, so I have my – just the regular camera shotgun microphone audio, and that always is right underneath the clip. And then underneath that, I've got a bunch of tracks, and I'll put in the field dialogue on its own track. I'll put narration or interview or voiceover on its own track. I'll put um, sound effects on their own track. I put the ambient audio on its own track, and I put the music on its own track. Um, There's a couple of episodes where I had just like tons of tracks. And the reason you put things. them in the, those tracks is so you can organize them. That way you can right. literally look at your timeline and see, you know, you know, track eight, that's all my ambient track four through six is all my music, track, right. whatever that is. And that's just for organization. So you yeah. can physically look and say, okay, this is loud. I know that's this track lower that. Yeah. So that's for me. So that when I'm going through, I can see, especially with dialogue, I can see, where those sections are that I need to um, what's called duck the audio. And so generally with dialogue, I'm trying to hit... Explain what ducking is before you go any further. Um, ducking would just be lowering the volume. Yeah. Um, so when you've got music, just to explain a little more, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. You've got music playing with no talking. It's going to be a little bit louder than when you start right. hearing someone talk. You're going to lower that music track low enough to where you can hear and, and you know clearly hear what the person's saying. And then when this talking's over, you bring that music back up. So that's what ducking. You duck the music underneath the talking. Yeah, so generally, as I'm going through my audio, my in the field or my narration, I'm trying to hit somewhere in the negative 9 to negative 12 decibel range. I found that's kind of a good sweet spot. Um, And then my ambient audio, usually you're looking negative 18 to negative 25 decibels. Um, just depending on what it is. I mean, that's kind of a by feel. Uh, some tracks you may want a little louder or some you might just want barely there. Um, and then my music, I'm generally trying to hit that um, about negative 10 to 12 most of the time uh, unless I have, like you said, uh, dialogue. Now, when the dialogue comes in, I lower the sound of the audio or the music track by um, anywhere from 10 to maybe 15 decibels, just Mm -hmm. depending. Um, We have a couple of clients that really want that dialogue super, super low when, or the music, I'm sorry, super low when the dialogue or they are talking is present. Um, But generally you're looking at a, 10 or 15 decibel drop. So as I'm going through, I'm making sure that my, I kind of look at your camera sounds and your ambient as kind of like a base. And usually you're looking at wanting that to be negative 25, negative 18 decibels, somewhere in there. Like you said, where you can hear it, 
but it's not overpowering. Well, and it's then, not like it's and it's, some and sometimes those music tracks when we get them, <clears throat> some will automatically come out louder than others. Yeah. So that's why these numbers aren't like it's negative fifteen every time. It's, it can't be that way because, like you you listen to some things like I know if, especially like when you used to rip old CDs or whatever. Yeah. One song will be really really loud and the next song will be really low and you have to turn it up. It's kind of the same way when you get songs that like they're never perfect, so you have to. You have to look at the audio to, meters, yeah. and you have to see where it's hitting on the audio meters, um, and then you adjust your levels to get to that certain point, which for me, for the audio, is like a negative 10, or the music is a negative 10 to a negative 12. Yeah. Um, in the dialogue, you look at it, you know, somebody maybe is whispering. It may take me raising their voice by 25 decibels in post to get them to that negative 12, negative 9 range. Or you've got me talking right now, maybe I have to lower it by five decibels or whatever to get to that. And so you just kind of play it by ear, you play it by feel, and it's honestly, you just have to go through Mm -hmm. the whole thing and do it methodically. And that's the reason why I separate them out visually, because as I'm going through, I go, okay, I start on the top track, level that, get that to a nice bass level. Then I go and make sure my dialogue is where it needs to be, and then I go down, and if there's dialogue, I I lower the volume of the music while that is happening, and then I bring it back up when it's done. And there's ways in audition, and there's ways in audition you can really smooth those levels out. Mm-hmm. That's a podcast for another another day. On that, maybe we need to do that in a tutorial. But audition's a whole new, whole different program outside of Premiere. It's all it's virtually Premieres for video, auditions for audio. So it's uh, there's lots of ways you can go in with compressors and high-pass filters, low-pass filters, different things like that to where you can take those levels that might be spiking in just a couple places, throw filters on there, and it really gets rid of those spikes and rid of those low areas. Um, I know just enough about audition to be dangerous. I'm not an audition person, which I was, but uh, it's it's a completely different animal. But anyway, so there's the first question. We'll, we're going to move on to actual the podcast, which is... This podcast, I wanted to talk about camera settings and lensing. Uh, when I say lensing, it's what lens to use for different situations. I got a couple questions about, uh, you know, what lenses we use for certain things. So, but I want to start out with camera settings. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is it's very general when you say camera settings. You've got your aperture, your f-stop, your shutter, and your ISO. And then you have your focal length, which is how, you know, what length your camera lens is at. So there's four different things that can change at any given time. So I know we've had some people in the past say they've screenshotted our, like when we're, when we've done some Instagram stories, they'll screenshot what our settings were on our camera. That's all well and good. But how many times a day does that setting change? Millions. Yeah. All the time. It's never the same. The only time it stays the same is like when you do a night lapse. Um, and the only reason it stays the same for there is because you need a long exposure. Other than that, you're still tweaking it to get it right. When we're taking pictures, when we're shooting video, our camera settings are constantly changing. And when I say constantly changing, like we could be shooting a 400 shutter speed one shot and a 48 shutter speed the next shot for a picture, just depending on what we're doing. It could change literally from one end of the spectrum to the other with lighting, day to night, morning to evening, morning to midday. It never stays the same. So 
looking at someone's camera settings, unless you're trying to get a specific shot in the exact same light they were taking that picture, is virtually useless. So you've got to be able to use your camera in a way and know what those, how those things work and then what lens to run for your particular situation. Um, we talked about that with Greg on the phone today, and we've talked about it a million times of how to achieve certain things, um, how to put on a certain lens with a certain camera setting to achieve something. You know, it's never, there's never, I'm trying to explain this in a way, and somebody help me out. Like, how you use a camera setting to achieve a goal. That's why it's never the same. Well, yeah. so you have the exposure triangle. Yeah. And at all times, you have to be cognizant of the exposure. You don't want a picture that is too dark. You don't want a picture that is too bright. You want to retain details in the shadows. You want to retain details in the highlights. And so you need to balance all of those things primarily. Like that's the first thing I would say that you need to know how to do and you need to know how to mess with your f-stop mess with your shutter speed mess with your um, iso mess with nd filters in order to get a balanced image exposure wise then as you figure that out you can start moving into using each of those individual settings for a desired look Um, because each one of those while they all contribute together to the total exposure of an image each of them has its own individual effect on other aspects of the image so you've got your f-stop or your iris which is controlling your depth of field Um, it also has an impact on the sharpness of your image Uh, you've got your shutter speed which is controlling basically the blurriness of your image or the subject in your image uh, you've got your ISO, which is basically artificial light. Um, I mean, that's really all it is. Yeah, um, it's how sensitive your sensor right. is to light. And then you've got your, uh, why do I feel like I'm missing a major one? Your focal length, obviously, um, contributes white to... balance, is that what you're thinking? No, I was just thinking of the exposure triangle. I think I hit, I hit all three of them, all three of the major ones. Um, you know, but you also have your focal length, which... Um, controls how far you can zoom or how close you can make your subject look to the camera, but it also has an impact on your depth of field and it also has an impact on um, how your image looks as far as whether the background looks far away or whether the background looks close. Um, it The amount of compression or the amount yeah. of warping. Yeah. And so you have to then go, okay, if I want an image that looks like this, then I need to mess with this setting. So, And if you have a basis of how, if you, if you know how exposed your image needs to be, then you know how to mess with all the other settings while leaving that one in a certain way yeah. so that you can achieve that very specific shot that you're going for. So, and that sounds complicated. And trust me, when I first started videoing and filming with a DSLR and a camera that ran everything in manual, which that's that's the way you learn is put your camera in manual and learn it. Um, it's not that hard. Trust me, guys. If I can figure it out, and it it was daunting to me at the beginning. Like, how what does that ISO do? Well, how does that ISO affect 
this shutter speed or this f-stop or that camera or this lens or whatever. It's not, it's not overly complicated. Get your camera, put it on manual, make yourself run it in manual. And for to give you some examples, so early morning low light, your shutter speed is going to be really low. Okay. It's going to be as low as it can. So if you're shooting in 24 frames a second, the lowest it can go is 1 24th of a second. That's as low as it can go. You want it to be double that shutter speed, double your um, frame rate. So if you're shooting in 24, the minimum you want it to be is 1 48th of a second. You can go to 1 24th. I try and avoid that, but you can. Okay, what does that mean if I'm in that low of a shutter speed? That means my camera is gathering more light, but my image is going to be blurrier as it as it has quick movement or if things are moving because that shutter is not staying open as long. or It, it is. It, it it's is staying, it's open, staying open, longer. open longer. Sorry. So as it's staying open longer, that gives that, sh- that image more time to shift in that short time frame. Now, as I'm getting light, I'm rolling that shutter up. Now my shutter is staying open less, so things are crisper and sharper. Now, and my f-stop's also going to be really low. So that means things are harder to be in focus. And as that light comes up and we get more light, then we start moving those numbers around. We can add more in our f-stop. We can add more shutter speed. Now things get crisper and sharper and easier to get in focus. And then when we need light in that low light, we can bump up our ISO. But if we go too far in our ISO then our image starts falling apart and it's grainy and it looks like crap. All these things are, they all work together and there's no one thing that solves all the problems. It's a constant balance and a constant juggle between all three of those things. We are literally am changing settings all day long, every two minutes as the light changes. Or if I push in and I need a different look or this, Another great example, you want to shoot interviews. And we want to blow out the background of our subject. And I, when I say blow out, I don't mean make the highlights so bright behind them we can't see them. I mean I want, to, I want my subject to be really, really sharp focus, everything else be way out of focus. How do we achieve that? Okay, we want our F-stop, which is our aperture number, as low as we can get it. So our, my 7200 goes down to 2.8. So I'm going to roll that all the way down to 2.8. I'm going to push my lens all the way to the end. So it's a 70 millimeter to 200 millimeter. I'm going to push the lens all the way to 200 millimeter. Well, obviously, I've got to back up to fit my subject in that because it's it's going to crop way in with 200 millimeters. So if I back all the way up, push into 200, roll all the way to 2.8, okay, that's going to make my image really bright. So I'm going to have to lower my shutter speed and lower my ISO. All right, now I'm at 200 and I push in, pull focus on my subject, whether they fit in my frame like I want them to, everything else is going to be out of focus because of my f-stop, because of my focal length. That's that's the image I'm trying to achieve. Um, did I explain that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Where in the same token, if you didn't want your background to be out of focus and you left the camera and you made all the moves to make sure it wasn't, that there was not as much focal separation between your subject and the background all those settings are going to change. Yeah. Even though the camera maybe has moved 15 feet mm-hmm. and the light is the same. And literally go out and try it. 
push to the end of your lens, lower your f-stop as low to go, maybe f4, maybe f2.8. You might have a 50, 50 millimeter prime that goes way lower than that. Lower mm. your f-stop as low as it'll go. At 1.8. Yeah, 1.2. 1. Mm-hmm. I got that 1.2 and 1.4 on the 50 primes. Mm-hmm. So you lower just for our 7200, 70, lower it all the way to 2.8. Since when? Push it, push it all the way to the end of the lens, pull focus, and just look at your subject. Everything else around them, if you if you give them some depth behind them, now they can't sit and be they can't be sitting against the wall. They got to have some room behind them and their background. So put them in the middle of a field. Shoot them at the end of your lens. Pull focus, and look. Everything else will be completely blurred. Now, start rolling that like look in your frame and now start rolling that f number higher and higher. Okay, first of all, first thing you notice is it's going to start getting darker. So you're going to have to lower your shutter speed or up your or bump up your ISO. As you do that, watch you'll start to see detail come in, in your background. As that f-stop number goes up, you'll start seeing more and more detail. It'll still be it'll still be out of focus, but instead of a blurred green something, you'll start noticing. Okay, now that's a tree, that's a bush. Whereas before you couldn't tell what it was because you were all the way at the end of your lens. Now, do the same thing backed all the way up to 70 millimeters or. 24 millimeters or whatever the shortest millimeters is on your lens, reframe and run your f-stop number all the way to the bottom. Well, they're not going to be near as blown out. Your, your background's not going to be near as blown out as it was at the end of your lens because focal length and f-stop work together. The lower your f-stop and the further you are in your focal length, the more blown out your subject is. But it also is how there's so much less that you can focus. It's a tiny little sliver of focus. These are, these are, that's is how you use your lenses and your camera settings to work for you, not against you. And this is, this is the quote unquote cinematic look, how you blow, separate your subject from the background. You basically take a 2D, which is your screen, and you use that focal length to make it look three dimensional by separating your background and your subject. It's exactly right. You know, and watch any good produced thing. I don't care if it's sports, I don't care if it's, Netflix show, I don't care what it is. If it's a highly produced show, you're never going to see everything in focus. Only what the the producer wants you or the director wants you to see will be in focus. Everything else will be either slightly blurred or very, very blurred. And that is how you draw your subject's eye to exactly what you want them to focus on. Next time you're watching a good, like, like, uh, drama or something, watch how they'll rack focus. They'll literally rack focus from one person to the other. So they'll roll focus from one subject to the next, and that automatically draws your eye. It's just like when you're looking at someone in the room. Pay attention next time you've got multiple people in the room. And I try and do this now. I didn't, didn't never do it before. But say you're talking to, like, I'm looking at you. He's out of focus. Like, I'm looking at Ryer. Clay's out of focus. But now I look at Clay. He's in focus. You're out of focus. You're both still in my frame. Of when I say my frame, my eyes, but it depends on who I look at. It's the same thing in camp in, in in videography. Whatever you want people to look at is what you pull focus on. It's exactly the same, and your eyes work the same way your camera does. You don't think you do, but it is exactly how, it's the exact same way your camera your your eyes work just like the camera does. Your eyes are better than your camera, but they work the exact same way. Maybe your guys' eyes are. <laughs> Well, your eye, your one eye. <laughs> Sorry. Um, got a question from Dustin Apple. Lens choices. 
blowout like comparing a portrait with 35 millimeter from 10 feet to a 200 millimeter at 60 feet. The 200 will give you a bokeh in front of it and behind the subject. Yeah, and that's the difference in lenses. So th- you hear that term bokeh. That's that that's that blurring effect that you get by knowing how to use your lens. And some lenses do it way better than other lenses. And then it's how far away you move from things or how close you get to things. Like you use those 50 millimeters and you get super, super close to something, pull focus, it's really going to blur everything behind it. 7200, you back way up, push to the end of that lens, it's really going to blur things behind it. Uh, but it's all how you set up your subject and knowing how to use your lens, knowing how to set your subject out from a background. Like you don't want to ever do interviews against a wall, you know, in a studio. Like like this, like for instance, this is not high production value what we're doing because everything's in focus. This isn't production at all. This is just so you can see everybody and hear us talking. If we were producing this, it would look a lot different than it does right now um, because this is literally informational. This is, And this is a different type of production. This isn't a cinema. This isn't a movie. So we're going to shoot it differently than we would if we're telling a, a story in the field. Um, so those are just a, some of the things that I wanted to kind of cover in terms of settings and and lenses, like what are some of the, like when it, like if somebody asks you what what settings are you using, like is that kind of what uh, that's kind of what I wanted to cover. I usually ask them, well, for what? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, or like what? Show me a clip or a photo of like what you want to get, and mm-hmm. I can tell you. Yeah, I can't tell you verbatim like what I had or mm-hmm. what's going to get the right exposure, but I can tell you, yeah, your f stop needs to be this. And then work all your other settings around that, and it'll look like that. Yeah, and then, and that's I don't know where do you start when you start to take a picture. Do you start at your f stop, or do you sh- start at your shutter speed? When I'm taking a picture, yeah, or video or anything really. More often than not, when I well video, I don't touch the shutter speed hardly yeah. ever yeah. unless it gets super low light, and then I'll like I said, I'll bump it from. I've been doing a lot of TV lately, so I'll bump it from. And there's a question from Bubba Crosby real quick that I'm going to go into while I'm talking here because it literally goes to – it ties into this. Um, You know, when I – when it starts to get really dark, I'll bump that from 60 to 30 um, to get more light. But generally shooting video, I will keep the shutter speed the same. And Bubba Crosby asked, um, is there a negative effect of running a higher than double shutter speed? And he's thinking for a bright daylight shooting 24 FPS and preserving a low f-stop. So it's question. not so much of a negative effect. Um, nothing is a negative effect, usually. Any, anything and everything has a purpose and can be used artistically and can be used to tell a story or make the viewer feel a certain way. But generally speaking, the accepted way to have the most natural feeling footage is to have your shutter speed be double that of your frame rate because of kind of gets back into like the history of movies and what people are used to seeing on screen but there's a certain amount of motion blur that a 60 or a 48 shutter speed at 24 frames a second will give you and that is what they have found to be the most pleasing to the eye as you increase that shutter speed to more than double, you'll find that, and you may not really be able to like nitpick it out, 
but the the footage will look really um, jittery and it'll look really sharp and almost in an unpleasing sort of manner. It looks awkwardly crisp. Yeah, it looks awkwardly crisp because there's no motion blur. It's you're not getting the motion blur that you're used to seeing. Sports are generally shot in higher shutter speeds um, because they want that detail and that sharpness, whereas film is not. And and say that and, and I guess I get to expand on that question. How do you in bright bright sunshine? If you don't want to up your shutter speed for video, how do you achieve? And you don't have ND filters, which is another thing that you need to learn how to use. If you're not using your NDs and you have them, you should. Um, what's another way to do it? Is that's by polarizer filters. Um, they're fairly cheap. They're you just find out what millimeter your lens is, order them on Amazon, and it's virtually sunglasses for your camera. It will lower that exposure or that you keep your shutter speed where you want it work your exposure around that. We use polarizers all the time taking pictures during the day, which we try not to take pictures during the middle of the day. We try and you you need to try and limit your footage. If you're trying to if you're really trying to produce something good, um you need to limit your filming to when the lighting's good. When you have nice overcast, that first hour of daylight, last hour of light, those are the golden hours. Those are the times that your footage is going to look the best. Um we try not to ever really take pictures and shoot high-value video in the middle of the day because it looks like crap. You've got harsh, harsh shadows, bright, bright highlights, and there's just no way to make it good without a lighting truck and a 20-foot scrim to you know to shade your sun, and we don't have the budget for that all the time. Um, so that's another really easy, really easy way to make sure things look good is pick the right times to do them or hire a lighting truck, one or the other. And we don't have lighting trucks. Oh. Got another question from the calling guys. Lenses for time lapse at night. As wide so, as possible. So night lapses. Yeah, you want a wide lens. We generally shoot them. I generally shoot mine on 16 to 35 and a fast lens. And what a fast lens means is one that's the f-stop number goes low. I've shot a mini night lapse on a um, 24 to 105 with an f4 lens. Turned out great. The better ones are on my 16 to 35 that go down to two two eight. And because you generally shoot nighttime photos wide open, as low as your f-stop will go, and your shutter speed generally almost as low as it'll go to close to as low as it'll go. Uh, and then your ISO, your ISO is what really your ISO and your shutter is what changes on astrophotos. Those are the things you got to play with to get it right. The hardest thing about astrophotos is getting it either getting it dark enough or not having clouds or not fogging up overnight. Um, I can't tell you how many. Time lapse has been ruined by them fogging up. Um, but I just had one the other day ruined by that. Yeah, ruined. I mean, that's why I don't like shooting Shame them. Shame too. Late time, late night, uh, late season. I yes. virtually don't shoot them because you can't keep them from fogging up. Yeah. Um, without stringing out, you know, heaters and wrapping stuff around them or having them in a controlled environment, you just can't do it. Yeah. Um, the best time to shoot them is in the summertime and the early fall, and then the spring in the late winter time. It's it tough. just gets too cold at night, and they fog up. Um, so, lost my train of thought. Oh, caveat to this though. Caveat, go ahead. Is, and I just did this for the first time. Like you're saying, when you're trying to achieve a certain look, you mess with the camera settings. And generally, maybe there's an accepted way to do things, um, but you can also kind of deviate from that to get a different look. Yeah, so for sure. Every single time lapse I've ever shot, up until this point was like what you said. It was a 
um, wide open. Yeah, I'm not cool. I got those F4 lenses. I don't I don't have those F2.8s, but F4, uh, you know, like a 16 to 35, 24 to 105. I'm running a 20 to 30 second sh- uh, shutter speed, all that stuff. And I went out there and I set it up like that. And uh, I kind of was like, hmm, this isn't like there's so much light. This is so bright. There's a barn light. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if I messed around and took the same concept that I use when I'm trying to get like a cool sunburst photo uh, during like the morning, the sunrise or the evening, like what me and Clay have been battling over lately. (laughs) And I think that I've won. (laughs) No, here nor there, here nor there. But, uh, and I think this just will also prove that I've won. Um, I know exactly where it's going. I took, and instead of running that lens at a uh, F4, I bumped that all the way up to F22 or 18 for for a night lapse. Um, Okay. And hold my beer. (laughs) And what that gave me is instead of having that barn light be this just almost orb of light that was just destroying the entire image. It like shrinks it all down nice and gives it that that sunburst look, and there was so much light because there was a full moon and all of the barn light and the house light um, that you could still retain all like it wasn't too dark and there's still little pinpricks of stars and that was all I was going to get anyways because of how much light there was in the sky. I wasn't going to be able to get you know that Milky Way or the really cool like millions of stars look because there's just too much light in the sky anyways that was gonna that was where i lost my train of thoughts i was gonna say that's the other hardest part of doing an eye lapse is finding a place where you don't have light pollution yeah and sometimes the light pollution is the freaking moon yeah and you can't make it go away yeah um you know unless it's fake there's only there's only a couple (laughs) there's only a couple call it situations that is just ideal for night lapsing yeah like I, i bet i've shot I don't know, hundreds of night lapses, and I bet I've got two dozen that turned out really good. Yeah, they're really hard to get good. Um, the the situations just every this, no pun intended. The stars have to align for everything to go right for a night lapse to be good. Um, yeah, most of them suck. Best yeah. ones I've ever done were in Africa, in my opinion. Because there's no light pollution whatsoever and no moon. There's no moon in Africa? Oh, there wasn't when I was there. Oh. There was just virtually no moon, yeah. It was underfoot, as they say. Really? Yeah. You never heard that? No. The moon's underfoot. Mm-mm. Never heard that? You heard that? <laughs> yes, multiple times. I ain't never heard that. Oh, man. Anyways, the moral of my thing. story was... Killing me small. Because I wanted the sun, the, the sun flare burst thing, I... Messed with my f-stop, and so that's what knowing what you want and what settings will get you there comes in comes into play. Yeah, um, let me look at my notes. I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, oh, shooting a high frame rate. So we do shoot in high speed sometimes, which requires a higher shutter speed. Which when you shoot in high speed, 120 frames a second, 180 frames a second, 240 frames a second, your shutter speed has to be a minimum of those things, or the camera won't let you do it. What does that mean? That means the image is going to be darker. That's why you don't ever see kill shots in like really low light in high speed because you can't do it. There's not enough light. Um, so 
and, and when I say high speed, a lot of guys think it's cool to see high speed kill shots. So do I. Um, but there are times that you can use high speed as a crutch, just like you can use drone as a clutch, just like you can use not as a clutch, as a crutch, just like you can use time lapses and voiceover and interviews. All these things can be overdone. Is there a perfect balance? No. Um, am I biased towards certain things? Yes. Um, so what I like and what you like or what Ryer likes or what Clay likes might be different than what you're doing or what you're producing. Bottom line is kind of what goes back to what Ryer just said. You've got to be creative. You can't get stuck in one rut. You can't say everything I'm going to be do, everything I'm going to do is going to be cool music with high speed footage. Everything I'm going to do is going to be pretty footage with voiceover. Everything I'm going to do is going to be lots of interviews with some B-roll over it. You've got to have a good mix of all those things. You've got to know how to use those things as tools, not as crutches. Well, I, think, um, I think you also, the same thing with camera settings and the same thing with lenses. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, mean, for I, sure. I recently, I found myself taking all, like almost all of my pictures with a 16 to 35. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you for, told me this. Yeah, I was just, loved the look of the 16 to 35. Um, I still love the look of the 16 to 35, but I was kind of thinking about it and like I'd have Clint or Aaron around and they were shooting on longer lenses and, um, you know, I'm shooting on the 16 to 35 and I go, I haven't shot on a longer lens in a long time. And they're getting these shots and I look at their shots and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I can't do that with the 16 to 35. And I realized just unknowingly that I had, almost just defaulted to the 16 to 35 and then I was just using it for almost everything. And I went, I got, I can't do that. I need to put the 16 to 35 away and take out like the 24 to 105 or well, the 70 to 200 so that I don't very, like very make the same yourself. stuff. Yeah. Very least yeah. challenge yourself to do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And try to get a different look or see what kind of things I can do with the 24 to 105 that I, um, have been not doing with the 16 to 35 and well, learn maybe. the strengths of that lens. That's the other thing and, I wanted to talk about. Yeah. What and what lenses lend themselves to certain things. So if I just general this is generally speaking, guys, so don't take this as gospel. Generally when I think of my sixteen to thirty five, I think of a camera for recoveries, because they make deer look big. Recovery pictures, you know, kill pictures, because they make deer look big. Mm-hmm. And night lapse pictures. Or night lapse imagery. That's what I use my wide lenses for, my sixteen to thirty five. Or wide lenses in general. 24 to 105, which is my medium lens, is my workhorse. I use that one the most. That one's in the tree stand with me generally because I can center scan and make it a 200 millimeter for bow hunts. Um, if I had to, I have it for all the dialogue, all the talking, all the in-truck, all the the heavy lifting. That's your heavy lifting lens because it's wide enough to do all those things but also have enough focal length to where you can be creative with it. So it's got the best of both worlds. That lens is on my camera 80% of the time, if not more than that. 7200 I view as a really pretty creative lens that I can shoot interviews with, that I can get really specialty stuff with, and it's a and it's a really good kill lens um, because it's a great length. It is great for kills. It sucks for when you want to come back and get a reaction because it's too long. So that's the, that's the only drawback to it. So... We almost carry DSLRs to try and get that reaction now and just run audio on the big camera. So 
generally those are the three lenses I carry. And that's kind of how I break. Is that kind of how you guys view those three lenses? Which you use the 18 to 200? 18 to Mine's 18 to 105. 18 so to I, have 105. A, I have a 16 one four. Mm-hmm. I have a 50 one four, And mm-hmm. an 18 to 105. It's an F4. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of similar. Which you've got a 50. I don't have a 50. I want to get a 50 for the R5 to carry on f- me. I got the 50 one eight. You want it? I want to try it. It's that one that you used for the last year of those Christmas photos for your buddy yeah. engagements. You can have it. Oh, really? I want to. Like, it's the size of the adapter. Yeah, I want to try one for that camera. You didn't offer me it when I, we were just talking. <laughs> yeah, but he writes my check. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's you. Pretty much got the same lens as I do. Yeah, I think the only difference is uh, on the up until this last hunt, I ran a um, eighteen to two hundred. Sony lens on the FS7 almost exclusively for video. See, the only thing I don't have is a 70 to 200. Mm-hmm. I don't have one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I would say that I landscapes you can do with that 16 to 35. Um, yeah, I didn't say landscape. Yeah. The only thing, the uh, only other thing I would add to the wide angle would be um, my companies in the hunting industry like seeing their stuff being used mm-hmm. um so any type of like product in its environment being used i like to do wide because it shows everything so like in the tree stand stuff or anything like that i'll use it for that too yeah and that you know you're 16 to 30 some of these things are uh, also dictated by the amount of space that you have to work with yeah like if if i'm on a spot and stock hunt you get more room to be like, okay, well, I can run this 24 to 105. I just have to be a couple steps further back to get this medium shot I want. If you're in a ground blind or you're in a tree stand, you may not have the room to get far enough back with that 24 to 105 or the 70 to 200 to get that medium shot, and that's where your 16 to 35 comes in. Same thing with like a rifle hunt where you need to really get up close to the animals and obviously you're going to be stuck back wherever the rifle is that's where you bring out that 150 to 600 and you can zoom all the way in with that 600 millimeters 1200 if you really want to get fancy and center scan it um feels like you're an earthquake the whole time yeah it's very difficult (laughs) to get things in focus but (laughs) they um, really need some image stabilization real bad yeah um but you know you're you also have to take that into consideration like what room do i have to work with and how much weight do I want to carry? <laughs> how much weight? Yeah, I mean, I carried, I carry all three. I carried all three of the lenses every day. But I mean, my theory is I won't use two of them for f- two weeks, and then I'll decide not to take them, and I'll need them. I carry them all the time. That's generally how it happens. Yep. Um, you know, I another thing I wanted to talk about relating to lenses, and this is, I guess, more of like a fuzzy thing to talk about, but. Fuzzy. Well, so like I, I don't, don't know. Like whenever that descriptor at all, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> whenever <laughs> I whenever I was in college for the year that I went, <laughs> um, like you would have your your technical majors, which is like engineering and science and math and stuff, and they'd have fuzzy majors, which is like your psychology, your arts, oh, that sort okay. of stuff. So to me, this is not like a ver- this isn't a technical thing we're about to talk about. This is more of like a kind of a psychological thing we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, I know. Now you're like, wow, really? I really don't want to do this now. Um, But I think you also need to think about not only 
um, technically what kind of things you're getting out of your lens and what it can do. But psychologically, how does the lens that you're using affect your image and how does that make your viewer feel, right? Because if you've got, let's say, a 16 to 35 and you're filming everything on that 16 to 35, your camera has to be very close to your subject and it's going to make your viewer feel like they are right next to your subject. Now, if you were to film all of the same shots, all of the same framing, more, more or less, on a 70 to 200, you're getting an entirely different look, and your viewer subconsciously is going to feel more removed from your subject. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I think about that is because, um, you guys know, I keep talking about it, uh, one of my favorite series is right now is Last Chance You. It's a really cool Netflix documentary series about um, these junior college football programs. And I went on a deep dive and started nerding about how they were producing this. And in one of the interviews, um, the guy said that they made a conscious decision to put an 18 millimeter on their cameras because they wanted to, instead of doing the usual documentary thing where you put the camera in a safe location, give it a big lens, zoom in and capture it, they wanted that camera in people's faces, on the sidelines, in the middle of the huddles, in all of the quote-unquote dangerous places, but like right up next to their subjects because that makes the viewer feel so much closer to the subjects and so much more a part of the action. And as a viewer, do you feel that when you watch it? 100%. Yes. They when I watch that show, you feel like you're in there with them. It doesn't feel like you're watching them from the stands. It feels like you're standing right next to them as they're going through all these things, they as they're playing, as they're, as they're going through whatever um, situations or emotions that they're going through, you feel like you're stood right next to them. And there's a connection that, that you have to the subjects and to the guys and to the team because of that. And it's, a, it's an entirely different feel than had they done long lenses and done it all that way. They said that the only two cameras that have a zoom lens are the two end zone cameras because they're forced to have a zoom lens. Mm-hmm. Everything else, if the camera is, if the camera operator is walking around and it's not sitting on a tripod, the lens isn't any of a larger local length than 50. It's 50 or less. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's just yeah an important thing to yeah. think about. Once you get into the realm where you start to really want to dive into that kind of stuff, you know, that th- these are the kind of things that you're talking about when you're saying, know what each of these things means, know how to use it and know what it's going to do for you. And then you could go, I want this look, I want this feel, I want this type of picture, I want this type of image. And you go, okay, here, here, what I need to do to achieve that and make conscious decisions to work, to, to get those images. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the, the psychology and the thought process behind, which we talked about this with Bluestem, like getting, really intimate shots, really tight shots of eye, shots of hands, mm-hmm. shots of the dogs, all the things that are quote-unquote intimate or sexy or gritty and dirty. Like all those things need to be tight. And those are things that have to be achieved with a certain setup, a certain lensing, a certain settings on your camera, all of those things. And where were we when we got those shots? Right in their face. Like if you look at any of the behind the scenes, I mean we're six inches from the dudes yeah. the whole time right next to him in the blind, literally running out after them and with them 
to and from blind. Yeah. Like right next to him in the truck. And I feel like that came through in the yeah. final product. Yeah, I do Like too. you feel like you're right there with the dudes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's like you said, being conscious about yeah. trying to get that stuff. Just producer stuff, man. Just, Just producer stuff. <laughs> you know what it be. Um, finally, <laughs> I want to end this on the another question that I've gotten. That Wait, we, we have a comment, though. It's okay, go for ahead. Clay. Go ahead. This is from Mike Hearn, and he says, Can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I have to censor it because Mike Hearn it's is a savage. It's a savage. <laughs> this is actually nice. He said a nice thing. He says, Gosh darn. <laughs> is Clay good looking? I think you got yourself a fan there. Gosh. Clay. Fanboy. Making me blush, Mike. Oh, man. Oh, Mike. He killed a good deer the other day. Yeah, yes, I saw did. that. On public land. Yeah. Mike, we love you, buddy. Um, Apparently, no. he thinks I'm ugly. So <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get a comment either. So. Yeah. I thought we were friends, Mike. Uh, apparently, I mean nothing to you. Thank uh, you. To close this out, unless we have any more questions come in, um, I want to talk about the FS, FS, FX6. Mm. Got a couple questions about it and what we what our thoughts were. And uh, I watched, did y'all watch the Philip Bloom thing? Mm-hmm. I watched, watched, I watched sec- a different one watched from somebody else, but it. yeah. Philip Bloom, well, I can't remember his exact words, but he's like, this thing is amazing. It's Looks incredible. Sweet. He basically said it's the FX9, the size of an FS5. With more features. With more features of the FX9. Which so is crazy. it's the best of both worlds of a cinema style camera with the A7S packet. sensor guts. And it's got all the menu buttons, all the manual rings. And it's basically a cinema A7S III. Yeah. Basically. With the the Venice (laughs) colors. The only Mm. thing I have against it, and I know this is even dumb to say, is it seems, I ran the FS5. You have an FS5. Mm -hmm. I'm a big guy. I feel like the camera's going to look and feel funny. It's going to be so small. Well, you two going from the FS7s to the FX6, Mm -hmm. you'll be a loss for a little bit. But I think if we went from the FS7s to the FX9, Mm -hmm. I would be lost and you two wouldn't. Not lost, but feel uncomfortable. Well, and that's really the form factor is, and I I love the fact that it's smaller and lighter. Mm -hmm. I'm all about that Money saved Trump money on Chavez. I'm all the, because, I mean, we could could essentially fit everything into one Pelican instead of taking two. Every camera I have is in that Pelican. Yeah, see, I I can't do that with FS7. I do like that. That's going to save us time and energy and money in the long run. I, I'm not scared. I don't like the price. <laughs> I don't like that at all. But we'll we'll probably sell one or two FS7s and figure out how we, we can do it. But in terms of is it something we're gonna we we will think about buying? Yeah, we will have one. Um, how soon? I don't know. The way that um, the way that camera releases are right now. Like we waited from August to. When did I get the R5? October? Like end of October? Three weeks ago. Right yeah. before. And I love it, by the way. I think we talked about it in the last podcast. Love it. So, um, yeah, we'll have one or two of those for sure. Um, just because it's a step up from the FS7. And uh, the our FS7s, we've had a good run. <laughs> they've had a real good run. Um <laughs> 
they've had a very good run. Yeah, they have been, and you want to talk about a way more rugged camera. I mean, we've had some mishaps with them. Let's let's not let's be honest. Yours took a saltwater bath. <laughs> I was about to say, you're really peering into my soul when you talked about mishaps. I'm really glad that happened just as soon as you started working here, too, and I had to pay for it. That was my favorite part of that. It wasn't as soon as I... It's been a year. It's been a year. It just, uh, okay. It was this past August. It's been a whole or year. July. A whole year. A whole year. Um, yeah, but I want to watch some more stuff about the FSX, but FX... X, X, six. Probably wouldn't be a bad idea if we could rent one. Uh, I don't, yeah. Well, I'll just, probably just buy one. <laughs> I don't think, see, here's the thing. He's already convinced. If we had to convince Caleb, then we would rent one. See, here's because, the, the, because the, I've noticed a theme. This is what happens. This happened twice. Yep. And this is, is, is gone. Is, you'll be like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe we'll do that. And then we go on a shoot. Somebody's got the thing. And you run it for like a day or two, and then and then it's ordered. <laughs> the red, <laughs> the R five. Yeah. Well, I liked it. I like it. <laughs> I like that R five. Yeah, Austin Thomas ruined me on that. Um. What do you think about the red? What I honestly, I told y'all we ran it what twice since we got it. Breaks my heart. It does. It breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart a lot. But practicality wise. It's pay, yeah, it's yeah. not practical. It's such a pain in the butt. It's a huge pain in the butt. And um Dustin Apple just talked about the Komodo. You know what? The Komodo can kiss my butt too. The red in general can kiss my butt at this moment. It's just overpriced pain with a gorgeous image. That's what it is. It does have a gorgeous image. And not only does it have a gorgeous image, you know, you know what, what is? else is gorgeous? The pictures of me oh, God. running the red. Well, this is, you or know, you running the red. Is, can I, or Clay if, if running the red. If we're going to get rid of it, can I at least run it for a couple of days for some pictures and then you can right sell there. it? It's sitting right there. It's been sitting right there the whole he just, time. It just needs a new profile pic. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of those things to where it's, like it's like an extremely, like it's a girl that you want to date or you take on a date. And you spend like a small fortune on dinner. She won't talk to you at all. And it's like really nothing gets going. And then at the very end, she just gives you the look. And then she goes inside. And that's all you get. But that one look was worth the whole night. You're you're, you're broke. You spent a (laughs) weekend. You're still single. You spent a weekend. You're still single. But she looked at you. That's the red. That's what the red is. And maybe... Maybe you she'll look at you again in a few months. Yeah. <laughs> That's and what it's gonna once really, a year, and it's once a year, cost maybe you money to get that look. That's what yeah. the red is. So, yeah, it's a nice look. It's a nice look, though. It's a real nice look. It's a real nice look. <laughs> real she, nice, Clark. She's wearing a nice scandalous dress. Yeah. But you got a look. That's it. And pay for it. And what? you pay. You pay for it. <laughs> No, she don't work. You work for it. <laughs> she don't work. You work for it. You work for it. Mm-hmm. Gosh, ain't that the truth? All right, I think we're in the podcast. We might hang out for a few more minutes on the live. See if anybody else has any questions. Peace. <laughs>